Truck it. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent the Dude. Hey! Good Friday afternoon from a chilly freight alley. What's on your mind? What's shaking, my friend? Saw the big ass moon you were saying on last show, the lunar yeah, moon. That's yeah, that's right. Peeping through my windows last night. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And also, I'm excited because uh, we got Ghostbusters tickets, myself and the kids. Oh, cool. Ghostbusters Afterlife tonight. Haven't been to a movie since that abomination, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so it's been like that was December 2019, so almost two years. So it'd be you, nice. Put, you <laughs> it'd be nice to get back. I'm right to hear. I'm, I'm ready to. I can't wait to hear your review of this. Do you think that the CGI and the effects will change like the, the type of movie it is? They covered it up or. Or there was better acting, more more type of storyline because the CGI and effects weren't as good back in the day when the original Ghostbuster came out? What are you talking about? Does that, that was a sense? classic cast in that movie. I Anyways, know. we got a big awesome. show today. Steam CEO Jason Prevention stops by the okay. studio. Tell us about their big expansion uh, with Chattanooga, right? Their big expansion in Chattanooga. And also their war against non-competes. We've got a wind turbine driver who's going to tell us all about how hauling those work. We got red Woods, Eric Rampelli is going to tell us about their new partnership with Freitos. We have Dale Young of World Distribution Services. He's going to talk about e-com and warehousing during peak season and beyond. But first, we're going to take a trip to the Port of Boston right after we tip the band. Right so on. here it is. Redwood, a leading logistics platform, has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and logistics consulting, all wrapped into a revolutionary logistics and technology delivery model, logistics platform as a service. Redwood lives at the intersection of logistics and technology, connecting its customers with the technology, talent, and expertise that they need to win. Contact Redwood at Tell them, Dude. Hey, go to redwoodlogistics.com immediately after this show. All right, it's been a while since I've seen this lovely lady right here. It's Lauren Gleason. She's the Deputy Port Director for Business Development over at Mass Port Authority. And they've had some awesome news. Their big ship ready now. Always yeah. excited to see what's going down in Boston. Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Tim. How are you? So great to see you. Thank you both. I know it's been a while since I've been to a, a Connect event where I think we would usually run into each other and I'd see the Massport team and, uh, and Laffy and June and, and all those guys. But um, it's, it's great seeing you again. And it's really cool that we're getting to talk now just as the port got those beautiful new cranes in. They're absolutely beautiful. We look forward to having you back up here so you can see them in person. Yeah, I think we have a video of it. Let's take a look at what we brought in, guys. Can you roll that tape? And Lauren, maybe you can speak to this. What are we seeing here? So you are seeing the three new uh, ship-to-shore cranes that arrived from ZPMC. They did a 60-day transit from Shanghai to Boston. They arrived on a beautiful June day. Um, so we are so proud of these cranes, which will be able to now handle the 14,000 TEU vessels that are transiting uh, the U.S. East Coast ports. Uh, they reach 22 container rows wide across. Um, so this is ample for the 14,000 TEU vessels. They reach 163 feet high, lift height above the rail, um, and we're really proud. Um, and these are have been now operational for over six weeks. Uh, they were fully commissioned within 90 days, and they've been operational since the end of September. Wow! So 163 feet uh, high. Is that uh, clear for the for the major vessels as well? What what size vessels are you now prepared to take? We are now prepared to handle the 12 to 14,000 TEU vessels. Um, nice. So they lift 163 feet high, lift height above the rail. They are a total height of 205 feet high. Beautiful. Now, I like seeing the growth of the port. So what does this mean for shippers in New England now that we have the option for more and larger vessels to call the port? 
So this is fantastic news. Um, we have over 2,500 businesses utilizing the port annually, and we know that that number can only grow. Um, we have reached now over the six states of New England, and we're hearing even more demand beyond the six states. Um, we know that there is ample capacity and demand for so many global trade lanes, and we've calculated that the total market is over 600,000 TEUs annually uh, for New England imports and exports. Um, so we're working very closely with all of the top importers and exporters, all of the freight forwarders and the brokers. Um, Tim, as you know, we have the most loyal and dedicated customer base, um, in, obviously, in my opinion, but in the region, um, it's been a really steadfast community. We're in constant touch with them, with our group here. And uh, this means that we can provide even more network diversification and more direct connectivity to other global trade lanes for them. So how is it partnering with uh, internal infrastructure as you grow the port there, right? You've got more capacity coming through there. You're prepared to handle more states, as you talked about there. What are the difficulties there? Some of those hurdles there trying to, uh, you know, like I said, partnering with the internal infrastructure? So partnering with the internal infrastructure, we've really made um, the necessary improvements both on the berth side with the new berth and our new cranes. We've dredged the harbor down to 47 feet. We've expanded the turning basin. So everything waterside is completed to handle the 14,000 TU vessels. On the land side, we've also made the necessary improvements to make sure that our operation stays efficient, flexible, and reliable for the importers and exporters, as well as the trucking community. Um, so we have a total of 16 RTGs, or rubber tire gantry cranes, um, that keep the port efficient, terminal side. And we're working really closely to make sure our truck turn times are best in class. Right now, our truck turn times are uh, 30 minutes or under. And that, what that means is that New England importers and exporters can do multiple turns in a day. It's increasing the productivity three and four times over and making sure those containers are reaching the warehouses and not having to worry about congestion um, in other types of East Coast ports where you can maybe only do a container or two a day. So with that land side, we have the trucking capacity. Um, we're building out over 30 acres of additional container yard space for a total uh, landside capacity of over 600,000 TEUs. And we're making sure that with our new freight haul road, the truckers can access um, the highway system within minutes from the terminal. Wow, and that's just on the land. You know, the Port of Boston, if, if you haven't been over there, it's right in South Boston. When you go right across the water from it is Logan Airport, hence mm -hmm. the, the specialized gantry cranes that they need, right? Because you got to stay out of the flight paths. But right. also, if you ever looked at a map of Boston, right, it's built on this landfill. The map of Boston has changed incredibly over the years. And because of that, the port has to be dredged quite often, right, for these larger vessels to come in. Was dredging involved in this? And how often, like, does the sediment push back in just because of the nature of, of what's under there? So that's a great question. It's been a fantastic partnership between Massport, the Army Corps of Engineers, and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Uh, so it's a total of a $350 million investment. And really the foresight of this investment has been over a decade in the making. Um, so we're really proud that we can now say that the harbor is completely dredged down to 47 feet and the berths are dredged down to 50 feet. Um, so the first two phases are now completed. Um, so the last phase was completed at, in late 2020. The third and final phase, which is just some final rock removal, um, that will be completed in early 2022. And what that third and final phase does is it helps um, eliminate the nine-foot tidal swing that we've had in the Port of Boston. Mm. Um, traditionally, our ocean carrier partners have worked closely with Conley Operations to make sure that they're navigating within that nine-foot tidal swing. Once that is finally eliminated in early 2022, um, those ocean carriers no longer have to work within that tidal swing. And it's very beneficial from a schedule reliability perspective for the ocean carriers because now they can come in and out of Boston Harbor. And on top of that, we have 18 start times with the ILA, who we have an excellent, excellent productive 
working relationship with. So we're really going to be a marquee port when it comes to schedule reliability and integrity for the ocean carriers. Um, they can come in now. The harbor is dredged deep enough. The turning basin's been expanded to 1,725 feet, and they have 18 possible start times um, to start offloading and loading cargo. Now, this is this is great, and, and I like what I'm hearing here. Uh, but, and, and with congestion, you think that more ships would be calling. It would alleviate some of the pressure on the Northeast. But something interesting is happening with congestion. I just read that in Savannah, it's impacting the MSC call. And there may not be another call from a different line until um, the Q1 of 22. What's going on with that? And how is congestion impacting the Port of Boston? Because it seems like it could be a good relief valve. Yes. Um, so just to clarify, um, it's actually with the Ocean Alliance, not with MSC. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, so what has been happening right now is there's a really entire backlog globally with the supply chain bottlenecks. And that's starting with um, the ships departing Asia. Um, we've seen a lot of different closures and bottlenecks due to the ongoing pandemic that's affecting all of us globally. So we've seen a lot of port shutdowns in China, which has then had the domino effect of impacting the operation here in the Northeast. So as um, ports continue to shut down in Asia, then there's a continued bottleneck as ships go through the Panama and Suez Canal, and that has now impacted multiple ports throughout the U.S. nationally. Um, so, you know, the service that we are on, we've seen up to a 30-day delay on a, you know, on a rotation that is supposed to be a 30-day transit between China and Boston. Um, so as the ships became more and more delayed in Savannah, um, we unfortunately had to um, deal with a temporary bypass. Um, in order for the ships to get back on a reliable schedule with the Ocean Alliance. Uh, we are in constant communication with all of the partners on the Ocean Alliance. They understand the demand um, that the consumers and the customers need up here um, from the import and export perspective. And we're looking forward um, to having them get back on track with their schedule, get back to this normalcy in a weekly rotation. Um, and we're starting to see that happen. We have Ocean Alliance coming back for um, a return to Boston the first week of January, and then that weekly schedule should get back on track by early February. That Lauren, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Rooting for the home team, obviously, love seeing the growth of Port of Boston, and very happy that you've done the hard work of getting it big ship ready. So we're wishing you all a very happy 2022. Come on next year and update us on how those calls are going. We, we'd look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you soon. Take it easy. Thanks, Lauren. Wow. Yeah, it's been a while. I got to get back to Boston and. Uh, and catch up with those people. Then big conference scene out there. Anyways, let's find out about turbines, right? Remember we saw that train hit a turbine and it went viral on the internet and everyone yeah. was wondering how turbines worked? Well, I was one of those people too. And we got a Graham, he's coming on. He's a wind turbine driver at Jordan Carriers. And I believe he's actually pulling a turbine as we speak to him right now. Is that true, Graham? Yes, sir. That is correct. Beautiful, man. Where are you driving through right now? Uh, currently heading to Grover, Texas. There's a, a wind farm that they're uh, just building out there that we uh, we have a project for about 300 blades that they're trying to get set up out there. So um, I'm currently hauling one set out there this morning. One set. So how many blades is it and how long are they on that on the truck you're, you're pulling right now? Uh, the one I'm currently hauling is 62 meters. Oh, Wow. In <laughs> feet, that's in yeah. feet. That's somewhere around uh, with the truck and the blade. That's somewhere around uh, two hundred and thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say you got one hundred and eighty feet of blade or so. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, how? For, let's start at the beginning. How did you learn to haul turbines? This looks a lot different than pulling a fifty-three. Um. Well, 
It started when I, well, I went to, when I started in trucking, I did reefer, and I did reefer for about a year at KLLM, and uh, a buddy of mine that was already here at Jordan, he was pulling blades, and he kind of got me, you know, to come over here, and I came over here, and, you know, I liked it, so I, I just kept doing it. Yeah, so, I mean, what's it like? What's yeah. the differences there? There's got to be a ton of differences. Oh, yeah. Uh with these, um, it's more complicated than just hauling a regular mm-hmm. 53 because with a regular 53, you know, it, you have a lot of room to work with in terms of uh, roadway. But with these, there are special routes that we got to take and there's curfews, there's restrictions. Plus, we got to have police escorts in some states. But throughout every state, we got to have, like, regular escorts, which is pilot cars and stuff like that. How, how do you train to haul one of those, uh, those blades? I mean, turning radius seems really uh, challenging, even just, just taking a left or a right with one of those. Well, it's the same concept as pulling a 53, because you normally you just stay to your higher side. If you go making a, a left turn, you stay to your higher side on the right, and the same goes for when you're making a right turn. With uh, with these, you have a steerman that's behind you. So mm. these trailers, they can actually unlock and lock. So they're, the set of wheels that's on the back of these trailers, there's a remote that operates those wheels. So while the driver is up front, you know, keeping to the highest, the highest side that he can keep to, you know, the steerman or the steerwoman behind you basically is in control of the trailer. And that person is in charge of making sure that the trailer goes around whatever, you know, obstacle that might maybe sitting behind you. Right. So and, and it's a remote thing. So they're not actually in the truck with you. They're in a vehicle behind you kind of watching and doing a remote. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So what's the other involvement there? I mean, you, you as a driver, you're much more involved with your load moving something like that than you are like a regular 53. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very they got uh, there's there's a lot of procedures that uh, they have in place for when getting loaded and getting unloaded. But as far as the training goes, it's basically the same concept as hauling a regular 53, you know. But with these, when you're making turns, it's a lot slower and it takes a lot more time. Now, do you try to avoid train tracks? We all saw that video that happened during the summer in Texas of the train hitting the turbine, like the driver got held up, and then, you know, the turbine's so long, it seemed to take forever for him to get across the uh, the track. Is is routing very essential and very crucial this? Yes, here at Jordan, I believe they try to get us the best routes possible, you know, avoiding train tracks. But if we do have to, you know, encounter going over a train track, you know, we have procedures where, you know, we stop, you know, look and make sure the, the, the coast is clear. And then we try to make the turn or the maneuver over the train track as quickly as possible. Yeah, I would be going with quick as possible as well. It seems like it's a lot of project work, right? So when you're moving these blades, are you coming from a central point all the time? Or are you like doing a project work there in Texas and then you move to a different state, that type of stuff? Yeah, well, this job that we're currently doing right now um we're we're uh, hauling blades from multiple locations. We we haul some from Corpus Christi. Uh, we haul some from Enid, Oklahoma. 
and down here in uh, Houston. This one I'm hauling now is coming from the uh, port over there in Houston, Texas. Hey, how is it uh, getting in and out of the port over in Houston? A lot of con- congestion or pretty easy? It's a lot of congestion because, you know, Houston is always, you know, jammed up with traffic mm-hmm. and all. But, you know, that's where police escorts come in. You know, they help us get through traffic. They pretty much shut the whole entire interstate down, you know, just to get us out of Houston. And then once we get out of Houston, then it's it's just pretty much the drivers and the pilot cars that we're working with out here. Yeah, I've been to Houston once. It flooded. I hear it, I hear it floods all the time <laughs> yeah. over there. Have you ever had Floods any close calls pulling one of these things? Pardon me? Have you ever had any close calls pulling one of these things? Uh, almost get hit by something? Almost hit, almost hit something? No, not as yet. But I have seen where uh, between the tip of the blade at the back of the trailer, there's a steer person. So mm-hmm. there's always like a little gap between the tip of the blade and the steer person. And I've actually seen where, you know, someone else driving along the roadway pretty much just went right in between the steer person and the tip of that blade. And the crew I was working with at the time, the crew leader basically stopped the truck in the middle of the interstate, you know, just to come out of the truck and tell the person that was in between his steer person and the tip of the blade to get out. Yeah. So what about, what about uh, the money? Is it, what's the, and the pay like on that type of uh, thing? Is it project work pay type of thing or is it mile? What is it? Um, It's salary paid. Mm -hmm. We get paid per day, but once you, once you're out here on the road for, you know, weeks, consecutive weeks, then we get a base weekly salary they start you off with 1500 and after like uh three months to six months then you're you know eligible for like a 200 dollars raise you know so the pay is good plus with these 62 meter blades you know they give you a 250 dollars incentive for each drop wow. so oh, on wow. top That's of your nice. base pay Yes, on top of your your base pay of whether it's fifteen hundred when you get started or seventeen hundred after you get your your raise after sixty or one hundred and eighty days or whatever, you know, you can deliver two two of these sixty two meter blades a week or three depends on the length of the run that you're on, mm-hmm. and that's you know like a five hundred or seven hundred and fifty dollars extra on top of your base pay that you're already getting. Hey, I got. Hey, I got to ask you something. So there's there's some haters out there. Um, so when I, last what? time I posted a turbine, there's, there's some haters. Some of the heavy haul guys who pull like I guess smaller heavy haul stuff. They're like those guys. They think they're the top gun. They think that oh, they're the smartest. Jealousy. Is that true, Graham? Are you guys the best? You're the best drivers. I'll take that as a yes. I think it's done silence with drivers, me. Yeah. But I think we, I think we do. <laughs> I think we do the best that we can. Yeah, nice. well, I mean, you're all big blades. I mean, stay humble, on, brother. Yeah, based on some uh, information that I've gotten from uh, my superiors, I believe that um, Jordan Carriers is placed in the top five of uh, the safest drivers that haul blades down here. I dig it, man. Well, hey, Grant, thanks for cool. taking us inside this world of hauling turbines. I really appreciate it. Have a safe trip uh, the rest of the way with that big blade. Yes, sir. Take right. it easy, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Good stuff. We thanks, appreciate Graham. it. Thanks, Graham. Hey, uh, our next guest is Dale Young. He's the vice president of 
World Distribution Services. And get this, he's an Old Dominion alumni. Oh, so is that my, right? I got a question for him. Okay. So here's here's some other alumnus that went to Old Dominion. Cash okay. Cab's Ben Bailey, pitcher Justin Verlander, wrestling legend Magnum TA, and Maya Angelou. So Dale, which one are you most like? <laughs> Uh, I'd say maybe uh, Magnum T.A. I did do some wrestling, so I, although he was he was a wrestler, not a wrestler, so <laughs> yeah. major distinction there. Yeah, well, Dale, tell us a little bit about uh, t- tell us a little bit about WDS. What do you guys do over there, and uh, what's it looking like moving into this holiday season? Uh, so, well, we are uh, we're a privately held company. We're based out of Cleveland. Uh, we have 13 markets that we're doing warehousing and distribution uh, cross stocking in. Um, very heavy on the, on the East coast. We've got uh, about a million and a half square feet just on the East coast, uh, mainly focused on, uh, Newark, the Norfolk market and Savannah as well. Um, so, uh, family held company been in business for, for 60 plus years. So, uh, really, really, really great organization to be part of, uh, in terms of us and in terms of, of, uh, busy season, I, I think, uh, I think we've been busy all year. I think a lot of us would say, uh, we've been busy. We've been busy for maybe 18 months. <clears throat> so it's, it's not a new, it's not a new thing. It's not a new busy. We've been that way for, for quite a while. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. What are you, everybody's talking about the perpetual peak season. Are you seeing it actually get more and more And what's space like there? Are you getting uh, crammed for space in the distribution? Yeah. I mean, I think we've been fortunate, you know, we have been growing pretty quickly. We've added three facilities in the last 18 months. Um, so mm. we were kind of, uh, fortunately and out ahead of it a little bit, we had already had some, some, uh, commitments on space that we were going to take. So we've, uh, del- those have delivered. And, uh, we actually, the most recent one was a 480,000 square feet in Linden, New Jersey, and we filled it up in about 60 days. Uh, so, um, space is tight. Uh, you know, that's not unique, uh, for, for just us. It's, it's pretty tight everywhere, but, um, Space is definitely becoming a problem. Uh, you know, poor congestion is, is still an issue, and uh, all of those all of those things are contributing to the kind of the, the situation we're in from a supply chain perspective. No doubt, one of the places where people have pointed finger at the current supply chain crisis we're in is just our just in time nature of delivering goods. But my counter to that, and I want to see if you agree with me here in your perspective on this, is that if you went to a giant just in case model, all of a sudden we would need a hell of a lot more warehousing space to put all of this stuff in the United States. Is that true? And is there even that space that exists right now? It's it's, it's hard to disrupt models completely in supply chain, is it not? It is. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, it, the certain, the, the, curtain, the certain, the circumstances we're in today, are already disruptive. Uh, so people are having to pivot. They're having to do things differently simply because they have no choice. Um, you know, customers have have containers that have been at Harbor in LA for, for weeks and months at times. So the, the supply chain is already disrupted. So they're having to do different things, right? Customers are trying new ports of entry. Customers are trying, you know, maybe they're changing their model from a cross stock to have, have some safety stock. We've certainly seen um, a lot of, of customers kind of move in the direction of, of safety stock. I think that's accounting for part of the surge, quite honestly, in, in terms of volume, is a lot of those guys are doing that. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a 20% increase in inventory, things like that. But I mean, we're seeing customers do a lot of different things. If uh, And quite honestly, we're seeing it go both directions. If a customer was doing primarily cross stock, we are seeing them move in a direction of having more freight on hand to do a more distribution type uh, account with. We're, we've seen customers who are doing distribution try to move in, into cross-stocking, uh, especially around the coast as they try to, to to kind of counterbalance the IPI issues or lack of IPI into the, into the center of the country. So we've seen it just kind of across the board. 
So, so Dale, we talk about disruption and disruption. We see it as a, as a negative thing sometimes, but it not always is it because it brings about innovations. What are some of those innovations that you're seeing and you think are going to stick around? Well, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is, is everyone is trying to, to start taking a look at automation of some sort or the other, whether it be a, a robot, be it, you know, conveyors and automation just to, to offset some of the, the labor struggles everyone's kind of encountering. Um, in, in terms of just the supply chain innovations, like I said, I think you're seeing more and more people diversify. Um, a more a mid-sized importer may have only had two points of entry. They now have four or five and are really being able to kind of bounce their, their import volume wherever they see it, uh, where they have capacity. So it's, it's really, um, everyone is just trying new things, right? And, and the labor impact is, is pretty significant. So a lot of us are trying to move in that direction, uh, but there's delays on that equipment. You know, lead time on, on those types of things is, is 50 weeks on some, some equipment. So it just kind of depends on what you're doing. So it, even if you try to move in that direction, it's not going to be a quick solve for you. Uh, you know, lead time on racking is, is 20 weeks. Lead time on new material handling equipment is, is at 50 plus weeks. Uh, batteries for electric equipment is, is at 50 plus weeks. So it's, it's kind of across the board. Wow. What are you seeing in the expansion? You mentioned automation there. Are you seeing a lot more uh, warehouse? Ro is, is that proliferating warehouse robotics? We see all this hiring at the same time, too. Like Amazon's mm. pretty high up in the automation space. But at the same time, they hired like a million warehouse workers and needed another 250,000 for the holiday season. So what are we looking at on the robot side? So, I mean, on the robot side, it, it, it's really a means to assist the employee. It's never going to replace the employee or team member. Uh, it's, it's really they're, they're designed to be a kind of an aid. To, for them to be more efficient, increase their productivity. Um, so, it, you know, that's that's the robots kind of design and how they're supposed to work is, uh, you know, a lot of them are, are autonomous, but they'll meet a picker, if you will, at a location and the picker still has to, to pull the box and put it on the robot or in the, in the bin. So it's, it's, a certain, it's a certain amount of productivity increase, but it's really not going to replace employees uh, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, more productivity and, you know, and safety, is, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the e-com world itself, right, that, that direct to consumer is, is much more labor intensive. That's what's driving, you know, Amazon to need all these these folks is it's just, uh, you know, point of scale. Right. If I'm if I'm moving a carton that's got 12 items in it, that's a heck of a lot more efficient than pulling one of those items out to pack for a, for a customer. So it's just very much more labor, labor intensive and demanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, uh, can we mention the, uh, uh, what is it? Adesia nutrition, what you guys are doing there. And oh, yeah. uh, love to, love to highlight some of those things there that are altruistic in nature and helping people out. Can you share a little bit of what's going on there? Absolutely. They're one of our bigger customers in New Jersey. Um, we've been working with them for a number of years. Uh, it's, it's a really great organization. Uh, we're very, you know, proud to be a part of that to, to assist in some way. They're doing uh, food aid to mostly goes to Africa and they have a couple different products, but it's all around uh, that peanut butter nutrition that you saw if you, if you watch that segment on the Today Show. So uh, <clears throat> most of that comes in is produced domestically and is being exported uh, to Africa. And that's kind of the, the role we're playing is we're receiving those goods in domestically, um, holding them for a short period of time until the booking uh, is, is ready for the export and loading it out for export. So great group, great group of people, um, really easy to work with and, and it you know, it helps the employees feel a little bit better about what they're doing. It's not just moving boxes. It's, it's actually a meaningful, a meaningful account to, to help. Well, yeah. very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us, Dale. How do people reach out and learn more? Uh, they can reach out to us at our website. It's worldds.net. 
Um, we have a, a pretty good landing page that kind of direct them where they need to be. Uh, the World Group itself, as I said, has, has a couple different companies. So we, we're a freight forwarder, we're a Drayman as well. So uh, the World Group is, is uh, ever growing and it's got a lot of different uh, segments to it. It's not just the warehousing side. So lots of opportunities. Well, beautiful. Hey, thanks for joining us. Have a great peak season and, uh, you know, try to stay sane. Supply chain crisis isn't easy on everybody. Take it easy, no, Dale. It Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate right. it. Our next guest is right here. He's in studio. He's the man, Come CEO over, at man. Steam Logistics. If you dare. He uh, builds, <laughs> builds new buildings, films with careful, Chattanoogans. Careful with our uh, people our from all over. stage here. <laughs> it's a bit haphazard. All right, I'm in. All right. Thank you guys. How you doing, I'm Jason? Like this is to the desk. You look good. Look, you're right there. Yeah, and right there to the desk. Look at you. You're 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 on what the truck? The uh, champion, world yeah, champion. Well, thank you. Bro. Oh, your mic's not on. Bro. Your mic's not on, so no one can hear him. Can someone in production turn his mic on, please? Sure. That would be fantastic. Looks Here like it's on. You're on now. How Am I on? Do you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you know. Leave it to me now. to flub it right out of the gate. So how's it going? It's great. It's great. You know? Awesome, awesome, Crazy awesome. times. Tell right us about now. it. So you guys yeah. are going so fast, right? Yep. Not only are you building, you're going to a building right over there. Well, you're right, retrofitting a building that's over Correct. there. Correct, right? yes. And you're throwing 400 people in there. But I have a little inside baseball also, because yeah. we were over at Reliance Partners about two weeks ago. Right, yeah, that's right. We saw there. some we suspicious people invasion. there. And I saw some of your guys snooping around there, too. Yeah, so we uh, that's going to be a little <laughs> bit of a short-term overflow solution for us. So we, uh, to your point, we are renovating a, a very old building, and we are going to have space for about 800 people in there when it's all said and done. But uh, to get wow. there, we have like this one-year gap where we're out of space, and so we've been able to uh, rent some short-term space just to tide us over until we, until we can get in there. Yeah, so you're going to move over into this place over there. So it's going to be a year. Can you tell us about the building, what's innovative about the building? Yeah, so it's a, um, I, I, I don't recall exactly when it was built, but it's been sitting there for, I think, at least two decades um, with all the windows broken out and, and completely empty. And uh, the, the building has just got a ton of issues, but it's in a particularly attractive part of downtown Chattanooga. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like Caddy Corner, it's, right? It's right there. Right. It's the worst yeah. place in the world to have a dilapidated Look at that. building. That so, rendering is beautiful. Um, so we're excited about that, both for our business, but also for the community and the city oh, yeah. and, and just bringing back to life and reanimating a, a, a kind of an eyesore. So we're, we're excited about that. And it's part of the building you're in already, right? Yeah, it's, or connected. Or it's connected. Yeah, it's right? connected. So there's, a, there's, there's kind of an open question on whether or not... Through the wall, there? right? So yeah. we, when we get in, uh, if, if we get into that building with more than 600 people, we'll probably go ahead and start looking at ways to use both buildings. Uh, the current one we're in, and that would give us so. So the new building will be 60,000 square feet. The one that we're in now, uh, we take up about 30,000 of of that building. So it would give us kind of a combined uh, footage of, of like 90,000. Are you nice. an interior designer, decorator? Are you coming <laughs> no. up with what this is going to look like inside, or whose job is that? No, so, so my friend Lindsay Frost uh, has a, a, a design agency, and, and so she is uh, doing the heavy lifting around that. We're working with architects and construction companies. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a big deal, and uh, we've been working with the city and the county here to uh, work through some uh, tax opportunities. Uh, there's a reason that building has been sitting there for a long time. There's the numbers don't exactly work, and so ah. we've been working hard to try to figure out how to make that. And then we've had a lot of support for that, which has been great. Uh, but the the plan is to hopefully be in there by uh, really this time next year. So it's a it's a um, we're in Freight Alley, right? And there yep. there's tons of logistics companies right yeah. here. How are you going to fill that with 600 people? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, we've hired 300 since January, more than wow. th more than 300 since January. Yeah. So um, it is a, it is an all day, every day process. We have amazing uh, amazing recruiting team. I think you guys have met Malcolm Harris, who we've he, had him on the show yeah, before. Yes. Yeah. So he leads our recruiting efforts. He and uh, Morgan uh, on his team, and, yeah. and they're just they're going 100 miles an hour all the time. Uh, we're looking for additional recruiters to kind of come in with them. And, uh, yeah, so it's not going to be an easy task, but um, but we think we can do it. Well, you make it a little easier for these employees to move around, too, because of uh, the war you've dropped on the gauntlet on non-competes. Yes. I, um, I was in a situation, I've been under non-competes before, I was in a situation yeah. where I was fired from a sales job by this company in Vermont who I will not name and shame. Go ahead and name Look them. on my LinkedIn. Um, but here's the thing they did. Here's <laughs> the thing that was messed weird. up. It, like, I didn't care. Like, so what? You fired me, big deal. You didn't think I was yeah. doing well enough at sales. What happened is two days before I'm supposed to, two, I started, I guess I started my job two days early on the 90 days that yeah. I wasn't, it was after, it was like January 3rd. Right. So instead of waiting until January 5th, yeah. like I, maybe I missed the 31 days in December or something. They sent a certified mail. They sent my non-compete by certified mail and threatened this company and myself for getting hired, which is so BS. Like, it's not like I was some rock star salesperson too that was taking right. your book of business. You fired me. Yeah, it's super predatory. We're, we're on a crusade. I mean, you all have probably seen some of our posts about it. I've heard the rumors. Yeah. <laughs> we just think it's a ridiculous practice. And, and you know, we get the idea behind non-solicits and, and some companies sure. choose to have those. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that to protect your customer relationships, to protect against having uh, former employees steal your current employees, all of that. But uh, the non-competes just are a, a total overreach where you're asking people that have you know, just learned a skill to stay out of the industry that they've just uh, built their career around. And we just think it's been a shadowy practice that doesn't get talked about enough, and we're trying to just drag it into the light, frankly. Well, doesn't it prevent uh, top talent from coming into the industry right away, right? I mean, because you want to go in, you come out of college or whatever it is, you get into the brokerage, you get into the business world, you want way to move up. Absolutely. You walk into a place, there's no way to move up, but you can't take those skills elsewhere, right? So it prevents. Yeah. And it just, you know, to, to us, it just is a, it's such a, um, an impediment to, to competition. And we, you know, we don't have a non-compete. We never will. We put that onus on ourselves to create a culture and an environment and mm -hmm. a pay structure and all the things that you have to do to be a winning business. And if it's, if we can't do that, and if someone wants to leave and we haven't done our job, then that's on us. And we need to yeah. look at ourselves and determine what we need to do to, to pivot and make better decisions around that kind of thing. But uh, we just find the practice to be, again, it's very much in the dark. I mean, a lot of times these kids, they're 25 years old, they come in, they get their first job, they get this non-compete put in front of them three days after they've started when yeah. the onboarding process finally catches up. They don't know what they're reading. They don't have attorneys. And so then they decide they want to leave after a couple of years and they're held out for sometimes six months. But I've seen them as, as long as 24 months. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. they don't have the money to sit out like that. No, so it's just, no. you know, we just think that the whole thing needs to be rethought. We've been talking publicly about it. I have yet to see one company come out in, in favor of these with any kind of rational thought behind it. Yeah. And so, again, we, we just want to kind of bring it out into the light and, uh, and, and ask people to uh, defend that practice. Now, let me ask you. So employees that are shackled with those, they want to come over to Steam. Yeah. Do you guys ever fight for them on, uh, on, your, on their behalf? We do. Um, I mean, we've probably gotten letters from 
eight different 3PLs, uh, you know, over the past year, um, very similar <laughs> to the one you described. And, um, and you all know Steve Cox, he's one of my business partners. Absolutely. And, um, I mean, he's, he's strongly considering posting the next one publicly. And, and I, I, I would that. not put it past me. He's a pretty strong willed, <laughs> pretty strong willed guy. Yeah, I mean, quite well. again, it's, it, it's, uh, let, if that's the practice, then let's, let's, let's take it to the court of public opinion and let people defend these things and and you know we'll see if it happens but uh we're not out trying to pick fights we're just trying to grow our business just like everybody else and so um you know we just would like to have everybody join us in sort of a conversation around this on an yeah. industry level well we snuck up behind steve at reliance he, he was, oh, yeah. was there right? and he was talking about we didn't prompt the non-compete he was just talking about it in like i don't think anyone was even around him he was like oh. non-competes are terrible oh. and nail them to the wall he was yeah. wa we found him wandering around by himself <laughs> muttering non-competes yeah, exactly. are just awful we yeah you don't have to, to uh, engage the conversation <laughs> no, he'll bring it to you no, no. problem <laughs> i think he walked in and chad said hey do you guys have non-competes yeah exactly. exactly yeah i can't i can see him fighting and, and and take it through it. And if anybody's going to dare you to take the, your, your employees and, and not have a gun, it's him. Because yeah. he builds, I've seen him do this before. The, 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 the culture that he builds is amazing. Oh, he's, it is the secret sauce to yeah. steam is his ability to build that it's a that superpower. Community. There's no doubt about Absolutely. it. And we would, uh, we, I mean, without it, we, we would not be where we are. So uh, he, ter he deserves all the credit in the world for that, for sure. Now, just this is a personal question for you as the CEO of a company. You've had to go through this COVID era. It's been a challenging time. You've had to deal with customers who are going through very challenging times. How have you kind of gotten through it and, and kept your head up and persevered through and, and blocked out the noise to be a leader? Well, it, it's, been a, it's been a challenging environment. One of the things that we have that we think makes us really unique is we have this very broad spectrum of services that we can provide. You know, we started this business originally as a freight forwarder, so we cut our teeth in the international side after most of us coming out of Access America and having that domestic background. Um, and along the way, we've continued to add services. We, we have a very robust drayage uh, product. We have uh, now back in domestic, uh, we had a non-compete that we had to sit out of, a, a business non-compete, which makes sense. I'm a yeah. different thing. Uh, and that expired in, in, uh, in April of this year, so mm -hmm. we're back in that space. So we can solve a lot of problems for customers, and I think that's one reason we've experienced so much growth is that when we get tapped on the shoulder by a customer, we're not a one-dimensional uh, 3PL. We bring a, a pretty broad range of services, and so um, that gives us a lot, of, a lot of arrows to shoot, so to speak, uh, to try to help them through some of these challenges. So it's been a great year. I think the, the stress of it has all been good stress for us. It's the kind of stress you get from growth and running out of space and that kind of thing, but, uh, but it's really been positive. It's, it's awesome. been interesting because a lot of the conversation, you have people go like, why don't they just take the ships that are going to LA and, and put them someplace else? But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there's, sure. first of all, there's congestion in the Northeast. And if you saw Lauren earlier from Port of Boston on here, they're not even getting a call till next year because right. due to that congestion. Yeah. Um, right. But I was also looking at spot rates. Like I got spot rates in my inbox just yesterday. $10,000 to go to LA, $18,000 to go to Miami for a 40, and then 15 to 16 to every other port, be it yeah. Houston or Charleston. Yeah. And you're also dealing with those delays and congestions. And so it's not like the, it's not the easiest, it's a catch-22 for a lot of shippers. It is, it is. And it, this is, uh, you, you know, I, I, there's been a lot of things in the news where a lot of finger pointing, as y'all have seen. Th this is a industry-wide challenge that we're all dealing with. It's mm -hmm. no one person's fault, one entity's fault. And uh, the, the simple answer is we've had a demand problem for a year and a half. And sure. so it's gonna, you don't fix those things overnight. I think hopefully it'll be an opportunity for us to, 
uh, rethink the infrastructure of this country. Obviously, there's a new infrastructure bill, and mm -hmm. so maybe there's an opportunity to, to build some resiliency into the supply chain that we haven't had in the past. I like that. That's what we said. So we were doing our, our what turkeys of supply chain and what we're thankful for last yeah, episode. Yeah. And, uh, our, our, my thankful and, and Daniel Stanton, Mr. Supply Chain, was that that awareness that's being spread. And it's gotten yeah. Yeah. so mainstream. There's so much heat on it that it became political, which can be a dangerous thing. It can be. But I think because we have the infrastructure bill passed, we can now start putting pressure on certain areas and certain levers that I don't think they would have considered had this not happened. For example, like truck parking, which was not included. Right. Now I'm hearing that more conversations are starting about yeah. it. They're, they're getting more interested in hearing what the different associations yeah. have to say. I and mean, if you think about something like truck parking, that is like the perfect use case of tax money because the private sector doesn't think it's worthwhile investing exactly. and then it may not be. Yeah. This is something we should be building because it benefits the, the greater good. And I think consumers are also learning now too because yeah. they're seeing that inflation. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how um, people that have never paid attention to this space are now jumping into the conversation. Uh, for the first time ever, I think I'm actually interesting at, at you know cocktail parties because people actually want to talk about this stuff. <laughs> for the first time ever, <laughs> somebody actually wants to know what my job is. No, but it's uh, I think it's a good thing, and and you know it, emergencies like this should be cause for opportunities to make you know major improvements like that. Yeah. Well, hey, Jason, thank you so much for stopping yeah. by the studio today. You thank gotta you. come by more often. I will. It's an easy, 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 easy walk. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now I imagine <laughs> you gotta be hiring a bunch of people. So. Go ahead. And All right, we'll, pitch we'll, him. Oh, oh, pitch steam. Uh, like I said, we have uh, we have a very robust and uh, and, and three dimensional business and uh, great culture, great work environment. Would love to would love to hear from you if you'd like to uh, to, to dig into that. Where do they go? Oh, steamlogistics.com. All of our postings are there, right. and you can check them out. We probably have fifty open postings right now. So. Here, give yourself a cowbell. All right, good, good, good. Beautiful. Awesome. Jason, we appreciate it, man. Right. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Have All a right. good Take one. Take care. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. You know, by the way, before we jump to our next guest, I yeah. don't know if you guys have noticed this on my sweatshirt here, but it's I noticed it. it. I love it. It's like a transformer. Oh, wait. I didn't notice that. Let me see. Oh, into, uh, very cool. A demigorgon. And then it's go. like back to the kids. Very cool. Now, the other great story. Now, if I could pick two things I was thankful for in logistics, Michael Vincent, it yeah. would not just be the awareness that's been spread, but it would be all of the great partnerships that this crisis. The has collaboration and partnerships, yes. Collaboration, processes, M&A, deal making that's going on great is point. unparalleled. We've never seen anything like this in this industry. Yes, Eric Rampell is here. He's the chief innovation officer at Redwood Logistics, and he's going to tell us about this awesome deal and this partnership that they forged with Fredos. And I'm excited, too, because I, I only read like a snippet about this yesterday, and I knew yeah, he was coming too. on. I'm like, you know what? I'll hear directly from the source. Eric, thanks for coming back. Hey, guys. How are you? Are, do you agree with us? Are you thankful for that? Isn't it cool, all these partnerships that have formed during this crisis? I am. Uh, well, first, thank, thanks for having me. Um, and I'm also thankful for your sweater. I'd love to uh, partner with you on that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do a little M&A on this one. I'll, I'll, I'll pay my price. <laughs> I like so, it. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, we're really excited. Uh, we, we announced this new uh, partnership with Fredos. And, um, you know, kind of like you were talking about in the previous segment, uh, we're seeing this big industry-wide challenge of, um, disruptions everywhere, you know, travel times are increasing, prices are, you know, through the roof. And so, you know, we've been helping our customers with that a lot in the North American market. Um, but from an international side and from a freight forwarding side, you know, we've kind of had this, um, you know, uh, opportunity to do better for our customers, especially from a digital side. And so when we met with Fredos and we saw what they were doing, we were really excited because, you know, similarly to what we're doing at Redwood with real-time pricing in the North American, you know, truckload spot market via our APIs, um, they're doing it for the international side with a product they're calling Freight as a Service. 
Um, and freight as a service or, or fast is, is really cool because they're getting real-time pricing and capacity from some of the largest uh, freight forwarders out there in real time. Um, and then, you know, they want to bring it back to their customers. So what's cool about all of this, you know, painless, uh, you know, LCL and FCL pricing, air, you know, over the road, you know, for international cross-border is that they can do it via API and it fits perfectly into Redwood Connect where we can just weave that into um, our customers' ecosystems because the big thing that we're trying to solve is how do we let people automate more of their supply chain, get those prices in in more real time, so that they can deal with you know the industry wide challenge that that you know we're all we're all seeing today. It's excellent stuff. So you've got you've got FAS inside there. So we're talking about uh, software as a service, basically SaaS partners. Is that the strategy moving forward for 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 Redwood to have that interconnectivity and that real time integration keep moving towards the SaaS model? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So SaaS has ushered in a whole new wave of, of optionality. Um, and that optionality means you don't just have to, you know, uh, find one, you know, monolithic solution to everything you're working on, but you can, you know, mix and match and find components from different companies and then have a way to weave those uh, choices together. And so that's what we're doing with our partners when we work with them is how do we take their tech, our customers, existing tech, their, you know, supply chain processes um, you know, and, and weave them all together and orchestrate an ideal solution to remove those manual processes, right? Because this this stuff is hard, right? Number one, it's hard to get a container, all right? Obviously, we know that. But number two is, you know, de-risking the onboarding process of different ways to solve that capacity challenge into business processes that isn't manually done, that isn't spreadsheets, that isn't phone calls. That's a huge paradigm shift. And, and we're excited to do that with, with a company like Fredos. You know, and as more and more companies get accustomed to SaaS and digitization and they need that, that information sharing with partners, there's going to be an extinction level event coming soon for the brokerages that do not figure this yeah. out, that do not get there or not making that. And the market's becoming even more competitive. So the great thing is all these deals are happening. But then if you're sitting there, you go, well, I got to start making these deals too, right? I got to make these partnerships to keep up, to, to get up and to advance where we need to be for ourselves and for our customers. Uh, really, really cool ecosystem. What is the state of it right now, though? Do you see a lot more deal making going into 2022? Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's it's how do you grow? Um, how do you provide a, a service to your customer? How do you find other companies out there that fit within your portfolio? Right. Whether it's partnership or acquisitive. I mean, that is not slowing down because as much as we saw, you know, that kind of activity in 21, um, we don't see that slowing down too much, mostly because it's still such a fragmented industry with so much room to improve processes. And then, you know, tools like this, you know, uh, platforms like Redwood Connect to weave these things together, what they really do is they give customers choice, right? And, and so, you know, we want to help our customers get the most value out of their tech investments, the same way that we want to get value out of tech that we buy or tech that, you know, we want to, you know, um, incorporate into our business process automation. Um, and then we want to give that to our customers with the least amount of friction, right? This, this idea of plug and play is no longer this future state of, um, you know, uh, um, ideas, right? Because everyone wants to either, you know, integrate a company or integrate a technology. And then it's like, okay, well, how do we actually do that? We want to, and we do make that way easier. And so when we're working with companies like Fredos or when we're working with, you know, anyone out there, um, we just want to remove friction so that shippers can get 
the most value out of their investments and get even more value out of new investments by making one plus one equal a whole lot more than two. So, so Eric, in times of innovation, uh, in normal times of innovation, let's go back when, you know, the, the internet was coming through and you had all these, even when you talk about video and laser disc, et cetera, there's winners, there's losers. There's those that are just me twos and stuff like that. How does, uh, how do you innovate and look to those that are going to be the winners, especially in this rapid increase of innovation right now? You kind of lost me because when you said laser disc, I got stuck on like yeah. the only laser disc I think I've ever seen, which was yeah. the Mark Burns and uh, Will Smith bad boys. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that's exactly the point. Is is right there as you're going through these innovations right now. It's so condensed right now. How do you grab onto those that are going to be the long term winners? I mean, I you know I've, I've chatted with you guys a bunch of times, and I, I have to stick with it because it's tried and true for me personally. Is the eighty twenty rule right? What twenty percent of effort around an innovation can yield eighty percent of results, and then hyper focus on ignoring the rest? Um, you know, listening to your customers, following those agile feedback loops, and just you know taking an idea and running with it, but at the same time listening constantly for am I making my customers happy? Am I making my internal stakeholders happy? And if you if you can shut your ego down and listen to what the world is is telling you, um, innovation becomes not only a lot easier, but a lot more fun. Um, and that's that's really what we're trying to do at Redwood. Eric, great stuff, great stuff. Excellent. And, uh, you know, from your lips to God's ears, man. How do people go and learn more? And, and if they want to get more information, a demo, whatever, about the Redwood Connect, Redwood Connect integration, where do I send them to? Yeah, redwoodlogistics.com. That's it. That, that easy. Well, you know, you have a great weekend, Eric. You too, gentlemen. Great seeing you. Take care. Be well, Eric. Thanks. All right. Uh, a little good news, bad news, and we'll send you home. Uh, the bad news and good news. There it is. Oh, hope they're okay. All right. Bad news. A semi loaded with $400,000 worth of Jack Daniels whiskey. There you go. Overturned after the load shifted as the driver was making a left turn onto the I-24 on-ramp from South Church Street around 9.30 a.m. Wednesday, November 17th. Several gallons spilled onto the ground as the truck was uprighted by a wrecker. And, you know, fortunately, several gallons. It doesn't sound so bad. Doesn't Uh, sound too bad. That container is definitely damaged, though. And, you know, maybe they should follow that UPS model of never taking the left turns, only take the right turns, especially when you got all that whiskey in there. That's that's a that's a great plan. The good news, the good news, though, as usual, when I share these things, there were no injuries. No, nah, that's excellent. That's that's really good news. Yeah, that's really good news. So bad news, right? CDL Life reports you got about three hundred truck drivers that were uh, trapped in where is it? Hope, British Columbia. All the flooding and you everything that, storm that was in the there? roads and the bridges. The storm, the bridges, the is showing getting washed away. The rail, all that kind of stuff. So truckers got stuck uh, there. I don't know if we have a picture of this or not, but they got stuck in Hope, right, yeah. with all the water that was there. No food. Food is running out. All that kind of stuff. Good news, a Sikh-based nonprofit, right, called, uh, what is it, Kalsa Aid Canada. They partnered with also London Air Service. They got food delivered to these guys, a bunch yeah. of pizzas and all that other kind of stuff to get these out of there. They offered them hotel rooms, et cetera. A lot of them didn't accept the hotel rooms because they didn't want to let their, their loads so just yeah. kind of sit there, right? But, uh, hey, Thursday, Highway 7 was reopened, and they're getting out of there. So they fed these guys a bunch of pizzas and guys and gals, I suppose. Yeah. And housed them and helped them out. So good news there. Great humanitarian effort. I would have taken the hotel room. I think I would have left the load. I, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I mean, at least they didn't wait for like uh, Liam Neeson and, and Lawrence Fishburne to get a, people together and get up there and get them saved, right? No, yeah, it would have taken forever. That would have taken forever. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was that's an awful situation if you're not 
following this up in canon, and are, are, the U.S. News does an okay job of this, but it's, you get a lot more it's coverage on Twitter. It's a bad situation up there, bro. It's terrible. It happened at an awful time, right? In peak yeah. season, the, the the damage to the poor, I mean, from a supply chain perspective, terrible. Absolutely. Terrible for the people who live there. I mean, it's just bad in general. It's not the kind of thing anyone needs going into, especially no. into the winter season. No, even the, even the cattle farmers, they're out there with jet skis trying to herd the cattle, which sounds ridiculous and funny, but it's not. It's that motorcycle, that flying motorcycle? <laughs> that, now, that would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> they would hear that thing coming from 10 miles away. <laughs> All right. Good news. According to, this is a crazy story. According to Richmond Shire uh, today, grandmother Margaret Porter, she's 67, from North Hallerton Road in Leeming Bar. She thought Nelson the Chestnut Gelding, which is a type of horse. Let's take a look at the picture, too. He was a sad looking, <laughs> even though that's actual not horse? actually her, the carrot, or the oh, grandma, the, no. the horse, the carrot, but that's, <laughs> that's not Nelson. But she, So she thinks that Nelson looks sad looking, right? So she goes, uh, he looks a little skinny, she starts bringing him carrots. She yeah. gives him a carrot. Yeah, so, sounds so I'm standing outside, to me. So I'm standing outside his stables, and I thought he looked quite sad. Um, I didn't examine the horse, but I noticed him. The fields were frozen at the time. There was snow on the ground. I passed six or seven times a day, and I didn't see his owner with him once, so she's very lonely. Um, I decided to yeah. give him a few carrots at the fence, and it never occurred to me that anyone else would be bothered about that. I just didn't want to see this horse starving to death. Sounds reasonable, my friend. Perfectly Bad news. Sense. Oh, no, come on. Miss, Miss Porter was arrested on Thursday. You can take that picture down now. Miss Porter was arrested on Thursday. Um, on the, was arrested on Thursday. She was sent to court. It turns out this isn't the first time she's been an offender. The first oh, no. time was in 2005 when she was convicted of assaulting her brother with three sticks of rhubarb <laughs> in an unrelated family spat. So nothing to do with her feeding horses unsolicited carrots. But so Porter, she was explicitly asked to not give Nelson carrots by the owner, Susan Cook. She says, I got to sign up. Don't feed the horse. Uh, what do you think? And just coming over, giving people's horses food anyway. Um, and because of that, the judge has slapped her with a restraining order <laughs> and said no more unsolicited carrots for the horse. After hearing it, Ms. Porter said, it all seems ridiculous to be taken to court for giving a horse a few carrots, but at least I got to have my say. And they didn't send me to jail. Yeah. Well, this had like the Streisand effect, right? I don't know oh, if you know the no, Streisand no. effect, but yes. that's when you something yeah. happens that only like a small outlet of media knows about, yeah. and then you, the celebrity, the person, make an issue out of it, and then all yes. the media picks it up, like what the truck. Yeah. Well, after hearing about Ms. Um, after hearing about this, uh, they said it seems ridiculous to be taken to jail, and right. a lot of people in the town have been bringing Nelson carrots now. Wow! Just random onlookers are like, I'm giving this horse carrots. Now Nelson's getting fat and happy. Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The story. The story's written with the grandma as the hero. However, if I had my dog in my backyard and someone just kept coming by and feeding it treats, I would not like that. No, I would not like that either. You're kind of messing. I know. No, you really shouldn't be doing that. You really shouldn't be doing it. I know that the horse looked lonely and sad. what are a couple carrots going to do? Well, maybe it'll blow up in a story like this, and then the whole town will start the feeding the horse has, carrots. Maybe the horse has your horse a, a, a carrot uh, uh, allergy. You never know. You yeah. never know. Here's some good news, Dooner. Yeah. Your DoorDash meal has arrived, my friend. There's a lot of food stories in a row. There's a lot of food stories in a row, and I appreciate that you assigned me this one here because this is this is my style right All here. Right. Your do- it has arrived. You're in an apartment building, and it has arrived, What's my friend. The bad? Great news. The bad news, my friend, is that uh, Fox 10 reports that the DoorDash driver in Southern California was on a surveillance camera. And obviously had to go to the bathroom, and uh, there wasn't one there, so they used the trash can right there as a toilet in the... Uh, yeah, they dropped trowel in the lobby. They dropped trowel right there with a surveillance the camera and let it roll. 
Yeah, I, she said, what I saw, I could not unsee. I was flabbergasted at what I saw. It was Lisa Staley, who's actually a broadcaster, and she was also this DoorDash customer. Yeah. DoorDash refunded her the money, but she took to Twitter to complain even more about this, Michael Vincent, right. um, saying that she also wanted to pay for the cleanup, which eventually they, they decided. Did, which is the right thing to do. To do pay for the cleanup of the, of the poop? Sure. Yeah. Whenever you don't think it's dumped like that. That happened to you, Dune. Do. Are you still eating the food? All I'm doing is going to Ghostbusters. Hey, catch me at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Kinsom at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere.